This is Emmanuel Today, taking steps toward God's possible in your life. On today's program, guest speaker Heath Adamson shares a unique perspective concerning the door to greener pastures. Let's join the service for the introductions right now. Uh, our guest speaker has served as the National Youth Director for the Assemblies of God and currently serves as the Chief of Staff of Convoy of Hope, an organization that's the first responders. Anytime there's a natural disaster, they're there on the ground. So church, would you stand with me and welcome Heath Adamson to the platform? Good morning. You can go ahead and be seated. Uh, before we dive into scripture, I just want to thank the Lord for his grace and mercy Mercy is when God does not give us what we deserve, and grace is when God gives us what we do not deserve, and I'm just thankful. I'm thankful for grace and mercy. Uh, we know that Jesus did not come to the earth to convert people to Christianity. We know that Jesus did not come to the earth to teach people what to believe. I would suggest he came to teach people how to believe, and when I was 17, Jesus breathed life over my dead soul. And I've never looked back, and I'm thankful. I don't deserve to be here, but I want to honor him. As a young boy, I knew that what you don't see is much more real than anything you do see. I was introduced by those closest to me. I'd have conversations with demons, and so as a young boy, I became steeped and immersed, actually, in witchcraft and Satanism. And so you can't really have a conversation with the evil one very long before you find yourself going down a road you wish you would have never traveled down. And so as a young boy, I remember uh, it going from experimenting to just being immersed and baptized in darkness, which as a reminder, there is no such thing as darkness, only absence of light. And so I was steeped in darkness, and so I remember the first time we looked at the candle and watched it literally float off of the table. As a young boy, that's cool. And it's entertaining. And then you move on to other things. And I remember when the chair scooted across the entire basement floor. And so I became fascinated with the unseen world. And I began to not just experiment. I gave my life to spiritual things. And I believe every human being on the planet Earth, because we believe what Scripture says, the Bible tells us God has written eternity on the hearts of all, that deep down Inside each one of us, we know that there's this God, Godward echo deep within us that longs for Him. We were made in His image, and we know that. But people who uh, never know the truth sometimes find themselves going down roads that they should never go down, and that was me. And so, what started out with experimentation, I quickly became, as a young boy, steeped in a lot of things alcohol and drugs and other stuff. I don't really want to talk a lot about it. I think sometimes uh, we talk too much about the things of this world. It's much more effective not to fix our eyes on how bad we used to be or to fix our eyes on the strategies of the evil one. Uh, scripture's clear. It's much more effective to fix our eyes on Jesus. After all, he is both the author and the finisher of our faith. But as a young boy, I opened up the door. I opened up the door to the evil one. 
And I walked through that door and went a lot farther than I ever intended to go. And I stayed there a lot longer than I ever thought I would stay. I remember I took a break from the dark things in eighth grade. My mom married my stepdad. The rule was we had to go to classes, catechism classes, actually. I want to be clear, I could have met Christ in those classes, but I didn't. And I took a break from the witchcraft and the other things and just gave religion a try. And you may be here today and you may think, man, that guy had some issues. He was steeped in a lot of dark things. I just want to be clear that just because we're not steeped in those dark things, there's no such thing as a better brand. We, we can have a better brand or a better appearance of eternal misery, but apart from Christ, it's not that you're a bad person. Apart from Christ, you're spiritually dead. And religion is one of the safest places to hide from God. Eugene Peterson is right. The devil does some of his greatest work behind stained glass. So maybe you didn't experiment with things like I used to. Maybe you grew up in church. Maybe you went to the winter retreats or youth group, or maybe you even attended some classes. I want to be clear. You need God just as much as anybody else does. So in eighth grade, I took a break. I went to some religious classes, never met Jesus, but because I took a break from those things, during that season of my life, the Lord did something amazing. The Lord dared to whisper to a young eighth grade girl, and she dared to slow down long enough to listen. You know, some of the loudest voices have no volume. She was walking down the hallway, and the Lord seemed to whisper, you see that boy over there at the locker, pray for him. You're going to marry him one day. What she didn't do is walk up to me in the hallway and say, guess what God just said? What she did do is she went home and she told her mom, thank God for a parent who was present. You know, we live in an age where we're surrounded by opportunities, and opportunities, when they seduce us, they become distractions. And I would encourage you, if you have children or grandchildren, whatever you do, understand the profundity of being present when your kids want to talk. It's a good idea to listen. She went home and told her mom, and her mom dared to listen, and they began to pray. For three and a half years, they prayed. Well, she went to a different high school than I did. When I went to high school, I completely flipped out and was just immersed in a lot of things. I remember my junior year in high school, um, tripping on, a, on LSD. It's a drug that causes you to hallucinate. And so it was in physics class. We're dropping metal balls down ramps, calculating velocity. For those of you under the age of 18, I want to be clear, once you graduate from high school, you'll never use that skill again, okay? <laughs> Unless you go to NASA, and if you're the .0001% of people in the world who actually understand physics, we need you. God bless you. Thanks for listening to your physics teacher. But we dropped balls down ramps and calculated velocity. I didn't understand what was going on. I was hallucinating. It's hard to focus in school when you're tripping on acid. And so I was hallucinating, and my physics partner had never been around anybody who hallucinated. And I didn't hang out with people who didn't. We had nothing in common, so we had a lot to talk about. And so I decided to take the conversation towards religion, which is what I always wanted to talk about. Because as a young boy, I knew that the spiritual world is real, but I had no words to wrap around it. So I always asked everybody, do you believe in God? Are you religious? How do you know if God's real? How do you know if what you believe is the true belief? There's all these different religions in the world. How do you know who's right? And he said, why don't you come to church with me? Okay. So I went to church with him. You know, some people are only one invitation away. We commit spiritual abortion when we say no on behalf of somebody. 
Sometimes an invitation can change somebody's life. Well, he invited me and I went. It certainly wasn't a church like this. So when I asked him about religion, he invited me to church. I walked in and it wasn't a church like this. And I walked out and I thought, these people are nuts. I'm never going back to that place. And so I just went back to my world, experimenting with spirituality, abusing drugs. And it's a story for a believing believer. It was a Sunday afternoon after the effects of crystal methamphetamine wore off. When you abuse that substance, you can't sleep. I'm laying in my bedroom at night, my heart beating 150 miles an hour, and I can't sleep. And I always wanted to know, God, if you're real, I want to know you. And it's almost as if heaven cracked open, and for the first time in my life, it's like the, the rain of heaven came to the dry and weary soul. I struggle to find words. Sometimes we commit linguistic idolatry is when we try to package God in our words. All I know is something happened. And I remember saying out loud, Jesus, you are who you say you are. Even though I didn't know the gospel, I thought John 3.16 is something you write on cardboard and hold it up at Vikings games. One thing the evil one can't counterfeit is the love of God. Because after all, God is love. And I remember going to school, I said to my physics partner, hey, I'm coming to church with you. Remember the thing the pastor asked people to do? Raise your hand? I think I need to do that. I think I need to raise my hand and pray a prayer. Okay. So on a Wednesday night, I walk into the most dysfunctional church gathering you can fathom. And here's the way it went. There were about 20 teenagers sitting in a circle. People were screaming at one another. People were arguing. I heard a few swear words. I walked in wearing my tie-dye t-shirt with a big marijuana leaf right here. (laughs) What I found out was is a lady became upset with the pastor, and she made death threats against the pastor. So they excommunicated a family, a family that had two teenagers. And so they were having a family meeting explaining to the youth group why these two teenagers were not, never going to come back to church. The police were there. I knew one of the cops well, Officer Willie. He searched my car all the time on the weekends. <laughs> I walked in. I'm like, Willie. I sat down. A sermon was not preached that night. They did not sing a worship song. They had a family meeting for an hour and 15 minutes. And my physics partner, whose dad was a volunteer at the church, Thank God for people who volunteer. He was a volunteer youth leader. He said, Dad, I'm bringing somebody to church tonight who needs Jesus. Will you give an altar call? So after the family meeting was over, everybody bow your heads, close your eyes. I was innocent enough to do that. If you would like to know if God's real, raise your hand. I was the only one to raise my hand. And I walked forward 10 feet because that's how big the little room was. And instantaneously, I was delivered from numerous demonic things. I was healed in my body from a lot of things because of the years of drug abuse. And I didn't become a good person. I first, I finally, for the first time in my life, became alive, alive in Christ. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful to the Lord. He took my breath away. Has life been perfect since then? No. Because I quickly realized that salvation, though it's a free gift, we know we're not saved by our works. It's not a matter of do you give money to the church or do you pray really, you know, poetic prayers. We're, we're not saved by works. We're saved by grace through faith. How do we know that? It's, it's what the Bible teaches, right? But I also realized that just because you become spiritually alive in Christ, God does not give you amnesia. And your spirit is made new. The Bible says in Christ we are a new creation. 
John 3 says we are born again. It's like our spirit was dead. We know that because Ephesians 4 says, apart from Christ, we're spiritually dead. And when we come to faith in Christ and we surrender to his lordship, our spirit is made new. But you are not a physical being with a spirit inside of you. You are a spiritual being that happens to have a body. And you will live forever. You have a spirit, you have a body, but the Bible also teaches that you also have a soul. Your soul is different than your spirit. Your, your soul is the way you think. Your soul is the way you feel. Your soul, if I could say it this way, is the seat of your emotions. It is your mind, your will, and your emotions. It is your soul is that peace deep within you. Maybe you would say it's your heart. Okay, it is, it is how you process your soul is the bucket where you accumulate all of your memories, all of your patterns, your habits. And salvation is not a finish line. Salvation is a door. And once you walk through the door of salvation, you discover how big the kingdom is. And even though God paid 100% of the price for your salvation, your ability to inherit the abundant life Jesus promised in John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and life more abundantly. The more abundant life is not up to God, it is up to you. And at the end of the day, every single person on this planet, we are as close to God as we want to be. And for some reason, when we come to Christ, we can trust God with our eternal salvation, with our sins, but there is this other thing called iniquity. Now, the word sin is a, it's a, the Hebrew word, it's an archery term. It, it's a word that talks about missing the mark. And I want to be clear, a sin is something you do that you shouldn't do. A sin is also something you don't do that you should do. And a sin can also be the way you think or, or, Maybe an attitude. How do we know that? Well, uh, like to commit murder is a sin. To not feed somebody who's starving to death, that's a sin. But Jesus said, you know what? It's more than what you do. Sometimes there are things deep within you that impact the way you live. That's why Jesus made statements like, you have heard it said, do not commit murder. But I say to you, anybody who says of his brother, and I will add the word sister, raka, which is an Aramaic term of contempt. If you say, Rakah, you've already committed murder. Or Jesus says, I tell you the truth, don't commit adultery. But anyone who looks at someone and lusts in their heart, they've already committed adultery. What's he saying? He's saying that it's not just what you do on the outside that is sin. Sometimes the choices you make and the attitudes of your heart are just as wicked. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. It says he was, he was killed for our transgressions in Isaiah 53. But it also says this. It says Jesus was bruised for our iniquities. So a sin is when you miss the mark. A sin is anything God wouldn't do. A sin violates this book. Say, how do I know what's right or wrong? If it violates scripture, it's a sin. And just because you become a Christian, your sins don't become weaknesses. It's still a sin. The word iniquity, is, it's, it talks about a different type of activity, spiritual activity, that's under the umbrella of sin. Iniquity is a word that literally means crooked. It's something in your soul that is just off. 
Now we understand why Jesus said in Mark 8, 36, what does it profit if a man gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? You can read that and you can think Jesus is talking about eternal life, but he's not. The Greek word for soul is soul. It's not spirit. It's not saying, what do you profit if you gain the whole world and go to hell? That's not what it's saying. It's saying, what does it profit if you gain everything and you forfeit the way you think and the way you feel? What he's saying is, is just because you can be made spiritually new, there's other stuff God wants and God needs to do in your life. As a disciple, you don't memorize Jesus. You become like him. And it hinges on what you're willing to do with these things called iniquities. Jesus was not crucified for your iniquities. He was bruised. A bruise is when there is a wound that takes place that is so deep, your body begins the healing process underneath the surface. And some of you have changed your behavior because you said, you know what? I'm a Christian. I'm going to serve God. I'm no longer going to do certain things. You've taken care of some of the external things, which is good. We should do that. Praise God. But the Christian life is also dealing with those things beneath the surface, those things called iniquities. How do I know what an iniquity is? It's when you say things like, well, that's just the way I was raised. Yeah, when someone once said, what you tolerate will dominate. It's, yeah, you know what? It's, this is just the way I am. I lose my temper and yell at people. What are you doing? You're saying, it's not a sin, it's a weakness. And what happens is, is when we tolerate those things, those things take over. And Jesus was bruised for our iniquities so that we can be free. And the miracle of my story and the miracle of your story is not that we got free. It's that it's possible to stay free. It's possible to walk through the door of salvation and discover how deep and wide and vast the love of Christ really is. And the kingdom of God wants to invade. The kingdom of God wants to invade how you confront. The kingdom of God wants to invade your ability to establish boundaries and relationships. The kingdom of God wants to empower you not to just give your best yes to God, but sometimes you have to say no. And you don't gently close the door to the evil one. I would suggest you slam it in his face. The Bible says in Ephesians 4, 27, do not give place to the devil. That word place is the word topos. It's where we get our word topography. It's talking about don't, don't give territory to the evil one. How do you give territory to the evil one? It's when you tolerate iniquity that is in your heart and you say, this is just the way I was raised. This is who I am. No, it's possible to be free. And at the age of 41, I'm still learning that Jesus can set me free from all of the demonic cooties I had when I was 17. He can set me free from drug addiction, but I am still on a journey and I'm still being uh, taken through the, the refining fire, if you will, and I'm okay with that. Because we are as close to God as we want to be. And some people say, you know what, it's, it's all about the grace of God. And I would suggest to you that the grace of God demands more from you than the Old Testament law ever did. Because we're no longer slaves to a law. We're sons and daughters. And love demands more. And who you are deep within your soul impacts every sphere of your life. 
So what do you do with that stuff? I want to take you to Psalm 23. And I just want to draw attention to one truth, and then we'll pray. The Bible says in Ephesians 3.20, God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we could ever ask, imagine, or think according to the power that is at work within you. That means the condition of your soul largely determines what God can and will do in your life. How do I know that? What does the Bible say? Third John 2. I pray that you may prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. When we become born again, our spirit is new, but our soul still needs to be renewed. It's almost like God gives us a brand new home, but he also likes to remodel old ones. And he comes and walks through our old soul. He says, you know what, I could have made this instantaneously new, but here, why don't you and I go from room to room? You see that? Oh, I love that door, Heath. I love the trim around it. I think we need to put a fresh coat of stain on it. God, all you have to do is speak, and you could have given me a new door. I know, but there's some things I don't like to do alone. Why don't we do it together? Why don't you and I take that door off the hinges, and let's go through the hard work of sanding it down, stripping it down, and let's just spend some time together and take what was old and make it new again. God gives us a brand new spirit, but he restores our soul. When you are pressed at a time of temptation... What's inside comes out. We don't fall into sin. We tolerate iniquity. When you go through a trial, when you are pressed, what is in you comes out. And for the rest of your life, God is inviting you to experience his restoring power. That's what Psalm 23 is all about. Psalm 23 was not written by David. It was sang by David. It's not written in 10th century BCE Hebrew. We know that David sang the psalm originally and then a scribe captured it and eventually wrote it down. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit. David, who is David? David was the young shepherd boy handpicked by God to be the king over Israel. If you've never read the story, you can start in 1 Samuel 16. Saul sat on the throne of the nation, but God handpicked David. If he would have asked anybody in Israel, who's the king? They would have said Saul. If he would have asked God, who's the king? He would have said David. There's a conversation going on in heaven that you're unaware of, and that conversation is much more important than anything you hear on this earth. David was handpicked by God to be king, but rather than moving into the king's palace, David went back and continued to be a shepherd boy. At this time in history, to be a shepherd, you were considered inept. A shepherd was not even allowed to testify at a legal trial. The shepherd boy, the one overlooked by many, not even invited by his own father when the prophet came to his house. It's interesting to me that the Lord sent the prophet Samuel to Jesse's house to anoint David, even though David was not in the house, David was in the field. Did God get it wrong? No. Sometimes God invites us to go to places knowing that the fulfillment of the promise is going to come later. Somebody needs to hear that. In a moment, David's life has changed. He's anointed by God to be the king over a country. And rather than moving into the king's palace where he will sit at the king's table, delight in the king's delicacies, have protection from the king's bodyguard, David goes back and lives a normal life. 
Eventually, God uses David to bring down a Philistine giant named Goliath. You can read that in 1 Samuel 17. And now, all of a sudden, David has a bit of recognition and notoriety in his country. And David is invited to serve in the very throne room that he should preside over. You know, we have to be willing to do things that we don't receive credit for. He serves in the throne room of King Saul, although he's handpicked by God to be king. And an insecure leader named Saul actually tries to murder David on more than one occasion. There are very few things more dangerous than an insecure leader who has access to power. David ends up running for his life. The one handpicked by God to be the king over a country actually has to run away to stay alive. By the time you come to 1 Samuel 22, David, the one handpicked by God to be king, is going through a difficult time of pressing. Remember, when you are pressed in a time of temptation, what's in comes out. When you are walking through a trial, what's in comes out. That's how iniquity is exposed. You can't tell what iniquity lies in your soul by looking at you. But when you are pressed, it always manifests. Sometimes what you think is a spiritual attack is an invitation by God to sit down at his table and feast because God doesn't prepare his table in the green pasture. He prepares his table in the valley. It's in 1 Samuel 22 when David sings Psalm 23. And how does he open it up? The Lord is my king. No. The Lord is the mighty warrior. He, no, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Really, David, you're starving to death. People want to kill you. You have the audacity to tell me you want nothing. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Later on in the psalm, it says, we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. When you have iniquity in your heart, you invert that. When you have iniquity in your heart, you walk through the green pasture and you lie down in the valley. But what if the green pasture and the valley are the same place? You make me lie down in green pastures. You lead me beside still waters. You restore my soul. David finds himself in a time of pressing where he is being tempted to be bitter, offended, jaded, cynical, blame God, sin, be depressed, whatever it is. He is being pressed. And what does he say? He doesn't say, God, why are you allowing this to happen? He says, God, right now, you're restoring my soul. Thank you for listening to Emmanuel Today. Please be sure to tell others about this broadcast that they could enjoy next week at this same time. You can learn more about the various ministries that Emmanuel offers and see Sunday services and Wednesday prayer services live every week. Check out emmanuelcc.org for details.